Thank you for listening to this message from Waynesboro Free Methodist Church. Our mission is to multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. We hope this message helps you along your journey. Good morning. If you would turn with me to Psalm chapter 1. Psalms 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the ways of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So you should be in Psalm 1. Uh, guys, we have been gearing up for this for the summer, uh, going through different selections of psalms. And the whole intent is to uh, kind of find ourselves uh, relating to God through the Psalms, where we are, as we are, because uh, they're so uh, dynamic in their approach to the human experience, and they teach us how to relate to God in all sorts of circumstances. And so today, we're starting off with the first Psalm. Makes sense, right? But also, it's what the Lord put in my heart for us, Psalm chapter 1, which was so graciously and tenderly read by my wife. Um, if you didn't know, that was my wife. Her name's Caitlin. And uh, I just wanted to, she doesn't know I'm doing this actually, uh, but um, uh, this month uh, is uh, the month where we're celebrating uh, 10 years of wedding, of marital bliss, and uh, she doesn't know this, but I wanted to invite you guys on June 23rd, which is the day of our anniversary, um, I was planning on watching our uh, ceremony, our wedding ceremony with my wife, um, and I thought, well, why not invite everybody to do it? And so if you're friends with me on Facebook, uh, I'm going to be posting a video that will be live, and we'll have a watch, watch party on June 23rd, starting at 7 p.m., uh, where you can watch our ceremony, our wedding ceremony, uh, and celebrate uh, what God has done in our marriage. Uh, I don't even see her. The bush is in the way. <laughs> Surprise. So, so June 23rd at 7 p.m. on Facebook, I would love to have you join us in watching our wedding ceremony together. It's a video I put together for us. Um, now let's get actually to what we're here for. Psalm chapter 1 is where we are. Guys, uh, how many of you know uh, what the, uh, not the first paragraph, but the second paragraph of the Declaration of Independence states? It says, we hold these truths to be self-evident, right? That all men are created What? Equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable what? Rights. Rights. That among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You have a right to happiness, right? Is that what it says? You have a, a right to happiness. No, it doesn't say that. It says you have the right to the pursuit of happiness. 
If you uh, were guaranteed the right to happiness, that'd be the, the government's job to secure it for you, right? But that's not what the government is for. It's for securing your rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right? But you know that you do have the right to pursue it, right? Now, this Declaration of Independence doesn't define what happiness itself is, but you and I kind of have some familiarity with it, right? We, we see it from a young age. We see it from almost a newborn when they laugh and smile. You know they're happy when they see mommy, right? You can, we know what happiness can be, especially from a young age. But you know what? The Declaration of Independence also doesn't state. It doesn't state where you can find it. It doesn't state the pathway to it. It says you can pursue it, but it doesn't show you how to get after it, how to find it. Now, our world is incredibly full of a bunch of the latest offerings on how you can find happiness, is it not? You can look anywhere. Billboards are advertising happiness, commercials advertising happiness, right? YouTube commercials, ads, those things you try to skip, but then you find one that you think maybe will make you happy, and you listen to it or you watch it. Ads on how to become a millionaire just through some passive income, uh, buying maybe the latest tech or, or the latest model because you know the one that you bought last year new is now totally outdated and drab, and you need the latest one in order for you to find happiness, those are all the latest offerings, and not all of them, they're, they're, there's tons more. What is the path there, right? What's the path to true happiness? What path in life actually leads to it? Tell me, that ain't the question for the millennia, is it? It's what we've all been asking, it's what we want to know. How can we be happy? Didn't we have a song about that written just a few years ago? Because I'm happy. <laughs> Whatever it is. Have you ever wondered the way there? Wondered what it is? Well, oddly enough, the first psalm, the first poem in the book of Psalm tells us the way. This is the way for the Mandalorian fanatics. Guys, you heard Psalm 1 read, right? You heard it read. So already I can tell you or even ask you, it doesn't sound like a normal psalm, does it? It's not really a prayer to God, is it? It doesn't really sound like one. This psalm here is actually a psalm uh, that's called a wisdom psalm. Can you say wisdom psalm? It actually sounds in theory that it should be more appropriately uh, plugged into the book of Proverbs, right? Because that's a bunch of wisdom sayings, right? This, it sounds like Psalm 1 should be in the book of Proverbs, but no. The book of Psalms itself, this book that is a composition of tons of 150 different poems that relate to God, poems that, that are, are, are relating to our own hearts, that, that engage our own souls, songs of praise, all these different things. The book of Psalms starts with a word of wisdom. Why is that? Well, let me just go ahead and throw out something real quick that you need to know as we get into this summer. Worship begins with wisdom. Can you say that with me? One, two, three. Worship begins with wisdom. It doesn't begin with emotion. It doesn't begin with your feelings. In fact, when you're feeling incredibly distant, worship happens whenever you say, I'm going to ignore that. I'm going to still get after God. Amen? So worship begins with wisdom. So what I mean by wisdom is 
knowing God, knowing ourselves, knowing the world around us, right? Knowing characteristics and, and things. And, and, and our worship has to be rooted in what's true. It has to be. Or else it's not going to be worship. In other words, we don't just get to make up a God of our own understanding and then worship it. It starts with wisdom. It starts with receiving what God has declared to be true. We have to have a certain level of understanding of God for our worship and our praise to Him to make sense anyways. So A.W. Tozer in his book, Knowledge of the Holy, in one of the first paragraphs, which is probably one of the most quoted paragraphs in preaching, he said this, Worship is pure or as base as the worshiper entertains high or low thoughts of God. Worship is pure or base as the worshiper entertains high or low thoughts of God. In other words, when you, when you think really low, drab thoughts of God that aren't really true about his character, your worship will be really low. But whenever you understand and grasp and enjoy the lofty thoughts and truths of God, your worship of him will be lofty. And that's why Psalms starts off with a word of wisdom. It starts off with wisdom that forces us to really deeply consider what kind of person you and I are. What kind of person we are as we enter into the sanctuary of the book of Psalms and engage with God and petition Him. The first thing we're challenged to do is to consider ourselves in wisdom. It's asking us whose side are we on. Where do we find ourselves? And here, there's only two sides that are offered, really. In fact, this psalm is a whole psalm about contrasting the two. The two kinds of people that can be found throughout these words. And, and, and within these words, we're going to see three main parts. So, so if you are taking notes, you can outline your notes in this way. The first thing we're going to see is sources. The second thing we're going to see in verses 3 through 4, are characteristics. And then the third thing we're going to see is the outcomes. So we're going to be challenged in wisdom to consider the sources of our humanity. We're going to be challenged in wisdom to, to consider the characteristics of our being. We're also going to be challenged to consider the outcomes. There's six verses in here divided by three, or two each, and you get three sections. So, so verses 1 and 2. The reason why I'm preaching from the ESV today, because this is how I memorize it in the ESV. So I'm just going to, let's read verses 1 and 2. It says, Blessed is a man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates on it both day and night. So, so let's just look at the sources real quick. This talks about the individual man. Blessed is the person, the individual, not the many, but the one, which means the one, not plugged into a group identity, but the individual can be capable of being blessed. Blessed is the person. Blessed is the individual. The word blessed there, I think, is a very interesting word because you and I can get a good sense of what our culture understands the word blessed to means if if you were to go um, go on like social media and plug in the hashtag 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 blessed 
If you were to just search, right, you can go to Twitter, you can go to Facebook, and you can search a hashtag and you see how people think of blessing. It's actually quite entertaining. I did it yesterday. Let me tell you what I found. Uh, One post came up that was a photo of two different salads side by side, and they were pretty, pretty good. They looked pretty scrumptious. And the caption said, Saturday salads, ending with a Z. And then it said, hashtag blessed. Saturday salads, blessed. Apparently, they're living the good life on Saturday. Also found a post of some guy holding a pretty decent fish and talking about how enjoyable it was to get on this fishing trip on this nice boat. Hashtag blessed. Right? Like, we we use it that way, but Scripture paints an incredibly deeper picture of what the blessed life really is. Guys, blessed, the root word of the Hebrew word is to be happy. It's to be fulfilled, maybe even content and satisfied. In fact, here the, the word blessed is in the plural. It's not in the singular, it's in the plural, which means that there's a multiplicity of blessings and even an intensification of them. So Charles Spurgeon took a note of it, and he commented on it in this way in a sermon. He said, hence, with the, the plurality of this, he said, hence we may learn the multiplicity of the blessings which shall rest upon the man whom God hath justified, and the perfection and greatness of the blessedness he shall enjoy. We might read it, oh, <laughs> the blessednesses. Oh, the blessedness is, and we may well regard it as a joyful acclamation of the gracious man's felicity. Guys, this this passage paints two pictures. It paints a picture of two kinds of people who get their sources from two different things. It talks about two kinds of sources that we can find our lives in, and, and, and it promises that only one of them is going to lead to that blessedness is. Only one of them will lead to the multiplicity of blessing in life. But the two ways it talks about the sources are the way of the wicked and the way of the word. We've got two, the way of the wicked and the way of the word. Look at what the the way of the wicked looks like. It's described in three sets of threes. It's crazy. Blessed is a man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. You can't help but notice the digression in the person, right? The the digression in each. It's walking, then standing, then sitting. It's possibly implying this, this slow digression into truly just wallowing in the filth. We see walking in the council. We see standing in the way We see sitting in the seat. When we're talking about those things, it might help you if you circle counsel, way, and seat, and right next to these words. For for walking in the counsel, we're talking about beliefs. We're talking about thinking. We're talking about mindset. For standing in the way, we're not talking about like I'm trying to walk and this thing's in my way. We're talking about behaviors, We're talking about actions and habits, standing in the way of sinners in the sense that we're we're acting like them, we're behaving like them. And then sitting in the seat, 
Seat meaning where you belong. So we've got beliefs, behaviors, and belonging. Right? Belonging meaning where we dwell, where, where our habitat is, the environment we intentionally put ourselves in. And then it's the counsel of the wicked. It's the ways of the sinners. It's the seed of the scoffers. So we've got the wicked meaning those who are guilty. We've got sinners who, who are missing the mark, which is what that means. And we've got scoffers who just totally mock God and all that he says. As this is the way of the wicked, and, and this psalm is clearly indicating that, that the blessednesses that, that, that verse 1 is mentioning, they're not found down that way. They're not found down that way. In fact, it's almost as if the blessednesses come when we choose not to do those things. When we intentionally choose not to, to walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers. When we intentionally ignore or put aside their, their be- beliefs, their behaviors, their belongings, where they dwell. Because blessed is the man who doesn't do these things but instead walks the other way in the way of the word. Not the way of the wicked, the way of the word. Did you see the, the, the part of verse 1 kind of interrupts the argument uh, or, or expands it but interrupts it. Blessed is the man, verse 2, whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. Guys, the word law here is the Hebrew word Torah. And if you have any background of, in, in Judaism, you know that that is, a, that is the first five books of the Old Testament, and it's their holy book. Uh, but in, in the book of Psalms, most likely, it's not referring to that. It's simply referring to the, what the Hebrew word means, and it's instruction. It's direction. Blessed is the man who delights in the instructions, in the directions of the Lord, and meditates on it day and night. And so we're going to find a, a, an abundance, a multiplicity of blessednesses in the way of God's instructions, where our affections or our delight and our thoughts, our meditations are on his instructions. And we keep thinking about them day and night. Like we wake up in the morning and God's word is there stirring our minds and stirring our hearts. And we end up going to sleep at the evening and there's God's word again churning in our thoughts and inspiring our affections for him. Instead we're walking in his counsel, we're standing in his ways, we're we're sitting in his dwelling. And that's where we're going to find happiness. That's where we're going to find the multiplicity of blessednesses. Not as a reward because you've earned it because of your behavior, but it simply just comes with that sort of lifestyle. It's actually inherently natural, belonging in that way of life. Simply put, the one who delights in and meditates on God's law is blessed. But this is a bit strange though, isn't it? It's a bit unfamiliar to us, I think. Like delighting in law, delighting in God's law, That's a, that might be a rather foreign notion. I mean, uh, let me try to put it this way. How many of you, uh, like, when you go to bed at night, pick up the Constitution of the United States and read through it and, and wipe some tears from your eyes as you, as you go to bed? My wife and I actually have a friend who did that. She was a government major at Liberty, so 
makes sense, right? But I don't know if normal people do. She's not normal. No, it's, it's a strange notion to delight in law. Like to have our affections be like, law, man, thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then find yourself just overwhelmed with incredible beauty by it. With law, we usually just respect it and we hope people obey it, right? You know, C.S. Lewis himself thought the same thing. He, he thought delighting in law was a rather unfamiliar notion. And in fact, he described it with these words. He said it was utterly bewildering and he said it was mysterious. But then he goes on and he argues and he discovers why the law can be such a delightful thing for our hearts. And this is what he said. I'm actually going to put it up on the screen for you. The order of di- the divine mind, in other words, the order of God's mind, embodied in the divine law, God's word, the language is, is beautiful. The language of the poet is not piggery or even scrupulosity. It is the language of a man ravished by a moral beauty. And so in one sense, the law can be and ought to be our delight because we see God's mind written. Such that we can't help but think about it. We can't help but pour over it again and again so that we can be careful to do what it says. And so we meditate on it. We find our thoughts going to it again and again. But wait a minute. Meditate? Meditate? These days? Meditation? Ain't nobody got time for that. There's there's like literally no space for deep meditation in our lifestyles these days anymore, are there? It's like none, none at all. You wake up and there's your phone telling you all the things that you have to know about everything going on in the world. You go to shower, there's a podcast that you can listen to while you're showering. You're driving to work, uh, there's a radio playing music for you or an audio book that you can listen to or read, right? You go to school, they tell you what to think, not how to think. You go on a lunch break, there's social media that you're going to go check. You drive home, there's phone calls that you got to catch up on that you missed during the day. After dinner, there's your TV shows to watch or family to hang out with. Bedtime, there's your phone to scroll through until you fall asleep. Guys, we have literally squeezed out any time for our brains to do any work of thinking, any work of meditating. No, we just keep jamming more and more information and more details and more just nonsense into our heads, into our brains almost every minute of every day. As we have no space for thinking anymore in our lifestyles. And you know what they say about the parts of your brain that you don't use? This is literally, this is what they say. If you don't use it, you lose it. So no wonder people seem to not be thinking anymore these days. Right? As we... we, we're slowly losing our ability to even entertain thoughts in our own heads because we're constantly being bombarded with everyone else's. Guys, just last, uh, uh, three days ago, Thursday, um, I was in my office, I was studying God's Word, studying Psalm 1, and my brain was just like, all right, you gotta, you gotta give me a break, man. And so I was like, all right, I'm gonna take a five-minute break. And so what I did was I came out and I went into that little tent that's in the in the, um, the cafe area. It's for VBS, but I used it for my break time. 
for five minutes, and I went in there, and I just kind of laid down and looked up at the top of the ceiling, and it was amazing. Not because I only, like, I really love tents, but, but I'm just sitting there, and my brain is like, all right, now I want you to think about all of these things. And it wasn't overwhelming. It was amazing. It's like, wait, I can think? <laughs> like, it's actually happening again. It was so amazing that I got out of the tent, went into Debbie's office. I said, Debbie, drop everything you're doing. Leave your phone. Go get in the tent and stay there for five minutes. And she did. And she came out and was like, ah, it was great. Because it was like our brains could just release. They could think. Guys, there is a blessedness that comes when we give ourselves, our brains, the space to recall and recall again and recall again God's word. There's blessedness down that way. When we direct our ponderings and we direct our thoughts onto God's law, but there will be no way to do that if we're constantly being bombarded with everyone else's thoughts. Guys, no wonder Satan wants to keep us from stopping and thinking on this. No wonder he keeps offering the latest ways for you to get the latest information as quick as it comes out. But no, when we, when we, we stop and we can ponder and meditate and recall God's word, that's the way to blessedness is. Delighting in and meditating on God's instruction. That's the way of the word. And Jesus described it as a narrow way. He said it's a narrow way and there are few people on it. Not many, few, but it leads to the blessed life. He said there's another way, there's a wide way, a wicked way. Many are on it and there's no blessednesses to be found at the end of it. Jesus said it that way. I think Robert Frost said it this way. He said two roads diverged in a wood and I, I took the one less traveled by. And that has made all the difference. Guys, this isn't a puzzling dichotomy, is it? It's not like we're reading through these first two verses and thinking, I don't know, they both sound pretty good. <laughs> this is confusing for me. This isn't a tough choice, is it? <laughs> it's not hard. This is a no-brainer. This shouldn't leave us scratching our heads and being like, oh, which way should I go? No, literally, you want the blessed life? Check your sources. You want the blessed life in this life here and now? Check what, what you're allowing in. Check the sources from which you're thinking and, and, and where you're getting your behaviors from and, and what environment you're plugging yourself into. You want the multiplicity of blessednesses that this psalm is promising in wisdom? Check the source of your life. Check the way you're going. The way of the wicked or the way of the world, the word. So check your sources. Now we're going to be booking it through verses 3 and 6 because I see the time. Look at verse 3 and 4 because now we're going to see the characteristics that are describing those who are in each way. Verse 3. So remember, the blessed man who delights in and meditates on the law of God. He is like a tree planted beside streams of water that yield its fruits in season and its leaf does not wither. 
In all that he does, he prospers. But the wicked are not so. They are like chaff that the wind drives away. Guys, so we're still seeing the contrast between these two ways. And and the one who walks in the way of the word is described here as this vibrant, this fruitful tree. Verse 3, he's like a tree planted beside streams of water. In other words, he's got this constant, deeply rooted access to the life source. And nothing can take him from it. No storm, no wind, he's rooted. No matter the heat of the summer or even in drought. Not only that, but we also see that he's yielding fruit in due season. Fruit isn't for the benefit of the tree, is it? No, it's for the benefit of others. And so there's a way that our lives can become useful for other people so that they might benefit because it's not about us in the first place anyway. We yield fruit in due season down this way. And not only that, but we've also got leaves that don't wither. We've also got leaves that don't wither. In other words, pay attention. When life dries out, And the weather is scorching. The blessed man is free from the crippling damage of drought. He doesn't crumble. She doesn't crumble. Jeremiah, uh, the prophet, says it this way in his book. He says, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for it leaves, its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. I think this is probably the only time where I'll ever say this. Man, I want to be this tree. I, I, don't you? My goodness, not anxious in trial, unafraid of the seasons that may come, being fruitful and being deeply rooted. My goodness, may this be my life. You see, not only do we see that beautiful picture painted, but we also see the opposite painted. The wicked, they're described here as well. What agricultural comparison are they given? What are they? The chaff. They're chaff. Guys, so at the time of the grain harvest, uh, the grain gets brought in, right, to what's called a threshing floor. And that's where animals or or devices crush it, right? It breaks off the outer husk and the seeds, uh, uh, the the grain seeds are there. uh, The husks are pulled off. And then then they take shovels and pitchforks and they take the grain and they throw it up into the air. And what happens is is that the, 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 the wind blows across it and the chaff, which is the outer husk or the shell of the grain, which there's no use for it, it blows away. The wind drives it away. The chaff, there's, there's nothing you can do with chaff. It's just, it, the best thing to do with it is just burn it. There's no use for it. It's worthless. It's not rooted anywhere. And so when the wind takes it, it goes. When the storms roll in, it drives away. This is what the wicked are. And just to be totally honest, this was me. This used to be me. Guys, I, I, used, to, I used to sit in the seat of scoffers. That's where I, my habitat was. That's where I had my source uh, with the counsel of my mind and, and my behaviors. Constantly be driven, driven by every wind. That used to be me. Uselessly living for myself. But praise God for His grace. And here's the thing. 
Here's what's really hard about this. Is that scripture never says anywhere that the wicked people won't prosper. It actually tells us that there are times where wicked people will have a certain peculiar prosperity that comes with the wickedness. Psalm 37, 35 says this. I have seen a wicked, violent person, well-rooted like a flourishing native tree. Say, what? Wait, wicked, wicked, wicked people can prosper? They can have a certain success to them? Yeah, there's a, there's a seeming prosperity wicked people carry with them. Not because their success comes from the father of lights, but because it comes from the father of lies. Guys, in Psalm 73... We've studied it here before. The author is complaining to God about how the wicked around him are prospering and how he who has devoted his life to God is just suffering miserably. And he's angry with God and he goes to God. And God gives him a new perspective, which is the next thing that we see in Psalm 1, verses 5 and 6. We saw the sources, we saw the characteristics, and now we're seeing the outcomes. There's two outcomes offered, perish or preferred. (laughs) Perish or preferred, verse 5, look at it. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. did Did you hear what he said? There is an end to each path. There is an end to each path in the way of the wicked and the way of the word. The way of the wicked leads to what verse 5 calls not having a single leg to stand on on judgment day. And also no place to belong at the end of the day. At the end of verse 6 it says they will perish. You remember how I showed you Psalm 37? I have seen a wicked, violent person well-rooted like a flourishing native tree. I didn't read you verse 36. This is what it says. Then I passed by and noticed he was gone. I searched for him, but he could not be found. You see, that's the outcome of that way. The end is peril. Guys, it's, it's just like Wile E. Coyote. Remember that cartoon with the roadrunner? I grew up with it. He keeps going down this path of violence and rage and anger and destruction. And where does that road usually end him up? right running off a cliff standing over a deep chasm that's just the way that that road leads to but it's not so for the righteous no the blessed who receive God's instruction no verse 6 says the Lord knows the way of the righteous that word actually more appropriately means he prefers it. He, he's, there's a particular kind of affection that God has for those who delight in his word and meditate on it. So the end of the way of the world was that. But the end of the way of the word is that God himself delights in you. That God prefers you. That's why, that's why this way is full of blessednesses. Because God delights in you, delighting in him. Like it pleases God. So, we're at the end of this psalm. 
And, and let me recap, because verses 1 through 2 took us through the sources, where we derive our sources from, uh, for our beliefs, our behaviors, and our belongings. Uh, uh, are they in the ways of, of the, the wicked, the sinners, and the scoffers, or do we find them in God's word, in his law, in his instruction? In then verses 3 and 4, we review the characteristics that accompany those sources, right? For, for those who follow each way, if you, if you follow the way of the word, if you meditate on and delight in God's law, goodness, there's a fruitful, useful, deeply rooted, flourishing tree. Or if you follow the other way, you're chaff driven away. And then finally, verses 5 and 6, we get these outcomes, right? We see where those ways end. Perishing or being the preference of the Almighty God, being what He delights in. So, guys, I'm, I'm sure that there's all sorts of applications that you could derive out of this psalm. Maybe, maybe you've already seen the Lord and His Spirit convicting you in certain ways or challenging you, maybe stirring up some ambitions in whatever way. It's, it's a deep psalm. It's got full of wisdom. But, 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 but where does it lead us to? Ultimately, where does this psalm lead us to? It leads us to Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ, because he is the word of God who became flesh and dwelt among us. Because he who came to give us abundant life, to lead us into the way of everlasting life by faith alone. No, he's the one who carries the word of God from heaven to earth. And he himself is the word of God sent by the Father to show us his heart, to write God's word on our regenerated hearts for our instruction, for our direction, for our joy, for our good. Guys, this is the true blessednesses of the new and the better covenant that we have in Christ. It's the care of Christ Jesus himself, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, bearing fruit in our lives, giving us access constantly to the living life source of the living water that Jesus provides for us. All of this as a preference to our praise, as a preface to our praise. It's the wisdom of the ways of the wicked or the wisdom of the way of the word. So which, which way are you on? Which way are you on? That's, that's what I see us being forced to consider before we even engage God in worship. Are we delighting ourselves in his word, meditating on his law day and night, finding the blessednesses that come there? Or are we engaging our thoughts with, with the ways that are appropriate only to the world? So with that, we're going we're gonna to celebrate the fact that if we are in Christ, we have found forever permanent blessednesses that are ours through him. And we're going to celebrate that together through taking the Lord's Supper. Um, if you did not receive the Lord's Supper elements uh, when you walked in, they are on the table out there. You might want to go run and grab them uh, for you. Uh, but as you're doing that, I do just want to explain what we believe about the Lord's Supper. Uh, we don't believe that this is an addition to your salvation, whereas if you have to do it in order to keep or maintain your salvation, no, Christ's blood accomplished that for us alone. But Jesus gave us this, instituted this meal to constantly put before us again and again and again God's word. In fact, if you could, this 
meal is meant to force us to meditate and delight in the gospel again, again, and again, and again. And so this meal is specifically uh, offered to those who are in Christ, those who are under the blessings of grace from the throne of the Father. Uh, this meal is not particularly for those who, who would be uh, describing themselves as, as, as distant from God in the sense that they don't want anything to do with God. This meal is not for those who, who would describe themselves as a, a mocker of God or even, uh, uh, what would you call it, uh, confused. This meal is for those who have found their sure foundation in Christ. But the reality is... <laughs> If you, if you have seen God's word this morning on display with the reality that, that, that the way that you've been living has just been wallowing in the filth and wallowing in the muck and you've never actually found the kind of happiness and the blessedness in that way. And, and, and like, like, like the Father's watching the horizon, waiting for you to come to that conclusion. And when you do, and you take that first step home, He's ready to run to you with wide open arms, to welcome you in, to clothe you in His righteousness, to put on the ring of the family, and to, 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 to cover your feet from your wanderings. He's ready to have you come home. Go down that way. And take the Lord's Supper with us. Because blessednesses are found there immensely and forever. Now and forever. And so with that, I, Paul encourages us to not just pop the elements in our mouths really quickly as if we're just taking another pill or something. No, we're, we're challenged by Paul to prayerfully engage with this to examine our hearts before we enter into the table and come to the table and partake. And so, so you're going to have a minute to just bow your heads and, and see how the Lord's convicting you. Maybe there are some ways where you're deriving your, your thoughts or your habits or your habitats from, from the way of the world, from wicked things. And, and maybe you need to repent of those things. So this time is for that. And when I feel the Lord leading, we'll, we'll pray and then we'll take the elements together. But this is between you and the Lord. I'm out of the, out of the way. We hope this message helps you multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit waynesboroughfm.com.